0: Welcome to the Gill Connections podcast, the number one track coach focused podcast in the world. From time to time, we like to bring you rebroadcasted,
1: value-added podcast episodes, some little bonus material, if you will, in between our awesome interviews from coaches around the world. This is just great friends of ours, the Athletics LLC, hosted by Marissa Chu, featuring Mouse Holloway, Chris Huffins, and Charles Ryan. This is a great gang. They operate on YouTube on Friday nights. you got to go be subscribed. We're so blessed that they would let us give you the audio version. So, without further ado, Athletics LLC.
2: You are tuned in athletics double lc yeah, yeah, yeah. with lamar uh-huh. lucius uh-huh. big league Yeah. here my man Clyde, <laughs> you're about to be schooled in all things track and field this is experience yes, sir. we are talking past, past. present past. Future. future future
3: y'all listen up let's go welcome one welcome all it's athletics llc day once again we join these lovely tiles, and we have a guest this week um, to discuss all things track and field not related and related. So um, we're going to continue a little bit of what we talked about last week and then dive into some other things that are just fun topics, as always. So if I could, I'm going to go ahead and introduce the lovely tiles that I share screens with right now. Um, Clyde, how are we doing on the West?
1: Oh, it's been a fun
3: day. <laughs> See on any given day that can be completely serious and completely sarcastic <laughs> and you haven't even driven home yet so that's the best part
1: <laughs> I definitely am not at home definitely
3: not home. oh my goodness um, Lamar, my own boss Huffins that, I feel doing? like that's a lot right there that there's a lot of hidden messages behind that one
4: there there may be but yeah, I, may be t- nothing today <laughs> could be. Any more important than the fact that Derek Jeter went into the Hall of Fame today?
3: Oh, I I haven't, yeah, I haven't done anything on TV. So that's cool. That's super cool. I'm glad I learned that. Uh, mm-hmm. Sir Lucius, how are you today, sir?
5: You know, I'm absolutely wonderful. Um,
3: I had, had a f-
5: fantastic day. And, you know, someone asked me today if I was recovering from my, um, antics over the last month I told mom about 75 percent and I got home and realized I was alive about 60 (laughs) percent but it's getting better than the 30 percent I was last week It's getting I mean
3: here's the cute the huge question are you waking up at what we call normal United States eastern time zone hours or like have you recovered from that no
5: no um like (laughs) two nights ago I, I slept for like two hours like no it's just terrible wow like i literally i fell asleep at 3 30 and woke up at 5 30.
3: oh my gosh
5: yeah not so i'm I'm gonna stop talking about that because i wanted to go away (laughs) (laughs) i know we're not
3: gonna do that that
5: monster by talking about it. i'm going to go to sleep tonight
3: oh that's funny last but not least we have a great guest on this week with us um i'm not gonna cheat him out of the two letters that he went to school for dr ross flowers how are you today sir
0: Pleasure being here. I'm feeling very good. Thank you.
3: Good, 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 good. Um, so, Dr. Flores has a, a a list of credentials that I'm not going to butcher. So I'm going to go ahead and let him give those. But for those of you who don't know, um, he does have a position with USA Track and Field in regards to athletes and their mental health stat. I shouldn't say status. Um, aiding them with mental health. Let me let me make that right. Um, as well as having a track career of his own that he can boast about. So um, if you don't mind just giving us a little bit about yourself, uh, please introduce yourself.
0: Um, yeah, so we can go all the way back to junior Olympic nationals. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> oh
4: my goodness.
0: You know, so I ended up going to UCLA in a full ride scholarship, but I think my claim to fame was winning five national championships in, in multiple events, which I'm sure Chris can relate to here. Uh, in, in long jump, 100, 50-meter hurdles, 110-meter hurdles, 200-meter hurdles, um, all before I graduated high school. So uh, I felt very good about going into high school, winning state titles and setting records and going on to UCLA to be an All-American uh, folks and just in the 110 hurdles in the sprint relay. But um, after that, learned a lot more about mental health and, and how mental health plays a vital role in sport and performance. And just, of course, our own, our, our regular lifestyles. And went on to get a doctorate in counseling psychology and I focused in sport and performance. I was able to create a applied sports psychology program at UC Davis that, that I ran for seven years uh, before going on to work with the US Olympic Committee. I was with them for four years and um, in between, for about 10 years, I worked a lot with USA track and field. Um, traveling to world championships, Olympic games, and uh, just your, your, your regular competitions as you go through the year, uh, where I spent a lot of time with, with two of these gentlemen um, with USA Track and Field. Uh, after beating up on Chris, of course, while he was at Berkeley and I was at UCLA. But we won't get into that. <laughs> I want his feelings up his on Chris. <laughs> said nobody ever. Let's just be clear. These were the real Bruins, <laughs> the real Bears at UCLA. But I digress. So after my uh, stint working at uh, uh, the Olympic Committee, I I really focused on building my private practice Dallas Consulting Group, which I've been running now for, um, wow, about 15 years. But now based in in Los Angeles, uh, working with athletes, coaches, parents, and families from high school through college, still working with Olympic athletes, uh, professional sports in football, basketball, and baseball, uh, doing executive coaching and working with many of our fine military veterans. So, fun schedule. Very fun schedule.
3: An official schedule for, for others, it sounds like so. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being here with us tonight and definitely uh, appreciate the two cents that you have to give us and our viewers because, um, obviously, not that this is a hot topic, but it's a topic that that warrants time and attention. And that's why we've brought it up for everyone to kind of just hear our perceptions and, and thoughts about it. So um, I'm going to automatically shoot a question off to you, uh, having gone to your website and kind of just clicked around and, and see what your focuses are. Um, what do you think is one thing that everyone can do daily to experience perceived success?
0: I think daily, it's, it's really finding what allows you to feel good about yourself. You know, so for example, I, I talk with again the variety of clients that I work with. We talk a lot about passion and desire, and where does that come from? And if we can identify that within ourselves, like what really makes us happy, what are we motivated to do in life? Um, it can help us feel like we're not working every day. We can enjoy some of those moments because we're doing things that we really enjoy, things that we we love, hopefully. Uh, and so, if we can identify that in life. You'll probably find a lot, of, a lot more happiness than struggles.
5: Okay. Um, I, I wanted to ask this. You know, I reached out to Ross after our segment last week. I actually had some people reach out to me that were very excited that we, we broached this subject. Um, we talked a lot last week about the social media aspect of this, but there's a lot more that goes in the mental health than the social side of this. I mean, there are people that are struggling because they lost a loved one people that are struggling because they lost a job, people that are struggling because, you know, someone doesn't love them or they haven't, they haven't learned to love themselves enough. You know, can you speak to that as well as even the aspect of what the mental, how, how this whole pandemic and the viruses affect people's mental health?
0: Oh yeah, you know, this pandemic has been tough on all of us in different ways. Um, whether it's our own health, um being secluded, trying to find things we can do to occupy ourselves and our and our time, having to work or go to school in know, maybe a confined a very different area than you're accustomed. Uh, but also just the loss of not just your, your freedom and flexibilities, but loss of life. And the impact that's had on, you know, not just families, but communities uh, and, and populations of people that has been, been extremely difficult. And, and so being cognizant of that as you move through your day that for example you may be in a grocery store and feel impatient because a line is taking too long and you want to take that aggression out on someone who's in front of you or the cashier you have no idea what that cashier is going and so just being more cognizant of of how we're presenting ourselves uh, and and accepting ourselves in, in moments of of struggle that we're all dealing with just in different ways So like, do you have any specific advice for people,
5: you know, that are trying Like, you know, one of the things I like to say to people, I'm definitely not a professional, but I talk to people about, you don't have to get over this, but you have to find a way to get through it. You know, what advice do you have for people that are trying to get through these things? Like how do they navigate those waters?
0: I think communication is, is extremely important. It's vital. Uh, and not just communication you have with others, but communication you have with yourself. Like, for example, are you really being honest with how you're experiencing your day, how you're feeling, what you're actually percolating between your own ears, our strongest muscles between our ears. And and if we feed it a lot of negativity, we're going to feel negative. We're going to do negative things. So if we can strengthen our communication internally with not just positive thoughts, but motivational, uh, progressive thinking, that can be helpful. But in addition to how we communicate with others, you know, so how we choose our words, how we choose to interact with people speaks a lot about where we're coming from. Um, and also, hopefully, gives us a better chance and opportunity to listen. You know, and, and when we really listen to what other people are saying, it may be hopefully what's coming out of their mouth, but also what their body language is telling us. So there's a lot of things to pay attention to in terms of how we can use our communication to improve not only how we feel, but how we interact with other people.
1: Uh, Dr. Flowers, I wanted to ask you two separate questions. I'll leave the second one for later on, but a large portion of our audience is obviously connected to track and field and you have a direct connection to the sport in in this field specifically do you feel that our sport is uniquely um, positioned? Does does it have a unique level of, you know, for lack of a better word, mental torture on the athletes compared to other sports? Is is our sport uniquely
0: difficult or do you think it's about the same?
4: Um,
0: In some ways it is very different because it is an individual sport, but you could compare that to other individual sports, gymnastics, tennis name a couple Uh, because it is of the individual nature you don't have as much of an option. there are some depending on the group of people you have around you for example if you have your coach your trainer uh, maybe a a strength conditioning coach maybe a therapist folks you have within your camp that you can uh, socialize with normalize things with that can be helpful but most individuals when it comes to competition they're out there on their own and so they don't have that opportunity to share the experience of anxiety, pressure, expectation with others. Uh, even in the relays, that's still, it, it's, it's a team event, but it's still very individual in performance. And so that opportunity to take that full responsibility for your actions lies on the individual. And so I think that that can, for some, burden them with a lot of unwanted feelings and thoughts. And and so in that way, I think track and field is very different. It's also very different in the diversity of events. Uh, Chris can speak to this very well, just the diversity of how you have to train, how you have to step up to performance, depending on the events that you're doing, uh, how you identify yourself within those events. Um, And and so there are a lot of things, and this may be more similar to example for something like gymnastics, that sport, but very different than team sports, so track and field is unique.
2: Um,
4: Can I jump in there? Please. Uh, So Dr. Flowers, I think that what I've been um, running into in the last month, so we'll say going right before the Olympics and then ever since, um, my friends seem to call me and they're very confused with the juxtaposition of mental toughness and mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And I definitely think a lot of people my age or closer to my age are gonna struggle a lot with that because we were overly so and definitely wrongfully so in some cases, we were browbeat that we had to be mentally tough. And we took a whole lot of things we probably shouldn't have ever been asked to take. But, But there is a, there's a crossroads there, right? To being tough enough as required to excel in your sport and dealing with legitimate issues that uh, one shouldn't have to deal with. You know what I mean? The one that are not sport related. But I think sometimes um, here in the last month or so, they've, they've come out in ways that I think folks are confused. Um, so if you could, and I know I'm sounding somewhat convoluted, I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but I think we all get where I'm going. Uh, if you could speak to that, I think that would be awesome because I think that is a misunderstanding going rampant in, in our audience and probably most audiences.
0: Well, that's a great question it's and it's a great topic. So I think a lot of folks are confused about Uh, in, 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 in my, my preference, I don't like the word or the phrase mental toughness. I I think it, it leads people astray to think that you have to be strong, like a muscle or that your thoughts or emotions or or, or undesirable experiences have to bounce off of you because you're tough, like Teflon. I prefer mental adaptability. Uh, and so teaching folks how to adapt to different situations. One of the things that I will never forget that I picked up in my work with Navy SEALs was how they look for folks who are adaptable. Not the strongest person, not the fastest person, not the smartest person, but the person who can adapt to different environments and situations. And so when we talk about high performance, whether it's in sport or business or military, whatever it may be, your ability to adapt, particularly in the moment is critical. And so if we can talk about how we mentally adapt which could include how you listen, how you communicate, how you motivate, how you develop resilience, um, how you build and, and how you build confidence and how you move with confidence. All these things go into a mental adaptability as opposed to talking to folks about, come on, man, you gotta toughen up. Don't let that bother you. Well, it, it does bother you. And if I suppress that it's bothering me. I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm doing myself a disservice. I'm not allowing myself to grow through that experience. Like you said, Coach Holloway is to, you work through things, right? You don't just accept it and deal with it and suppress it. And now you're weighted down by whatever that unwanted experience is. You learn how to adapt through it. And those are skills that you have to develop. And so just as you're, as you're coaching folks in track and field in the same way, you want to coach them in their mental and emotional development. And a lot of that is, Teach them, for example, how do they accept being coached? Who is actually coachable? I imagine those are the folks that you're looking for when you're recruiting. You're looking for not just the folks who are extremely talented or skilled, you want folks who are coachable. Can you go from being a great high school student athlete to a great, if not exceptional college, and maybe professional athlete? And so mental adaptability is, I think, something that needs to be addressed more and, and more frequently addressed in, in sport.
5: Um, and I, I'm going to be a bit of a clown before I ask my next question, but clearly Lamar moving to Texas has heightened his, his intelligence level even, even more than we expected to. Great question, sir. Well, um,
1: we so, can't possibly blame that on moving to Texas, given what's going on in the state of Texas. Well,
4: he- oh, no, no, because now I'm one of the smartest people in the state I live in. There you go. Ah, ah. So now it's very important that I, you know, I I have to dust dust off my degree and actually speak intelligently because, you know,
5: good Lord knows. So, my question for you, for you, Ross, uh, Dr. Flowers, is that, um, so, you know, we talked a little bit here about communication. And I think we've all heard the ad is that communication is not said, it's what's heard, it's not written, it's what's read. How do we become one as you talked about, you know, we see people with, with issues and we have to be able to identify that. How do we become better communicators with people? Like you said, we we'll take off the you gotta to be tougher deal. You know, we got you know, how do we communicate with folks when we see they're having problems? How do we become better listeners? You know, I know the thing is, well, you just have to listen, but what are we listening for?
0: Yeah. Well, well, I think it is through communication. And being comfortable with talking about not just being strong and tough and working through things, but there are struggles. There are challenges that people deal with and are experiencing, and it's okay to talk about them. So we start really destigmatizing mental health and mental wellness. And it becomes part of anything else. just like you know you you have a pulled hamstring. in sport, that's talked about all the time. Mm-hmm. That's just part of you know that's part of performance. But now if we talk about anxiety or depression, now it's like, whoa, 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 what's, what's, what's going on? That's, they're weak. It's like, well, how's that any, any weaker than someone who hasn't developed their hamstring and pulled their hamstring? There's no different. And, and so accepting that you know, folks who are going through, not just struggles and challenges, but everyday woes. You know, not everyone wakes up with a smile on their face and has a wonderful day. And, and so being able to accept that folks want to talk about and I'm feeling a little anxious today. It's, it's not a problem, but I'm just feeling a little anxious about, you know, Coach, Coach Huffins, you just put in front of me, you know, a 600 breakdown. I'm, I'm a little anxious about that. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm going to handle that today. I don't feel good about it. Is that okay to say? Or do I have to be tough, suck it up, just get my butt on the track and run? So, so are you kind of saying we have to learn to speak their language? Exactly. Um, okay. and, and not necessarily their language, a combined understanding of communication, right? Okay. So in the same way that athletes are asked to adapt and adjust to their coaches' languages, coaches can do the same. And, and I realize that, that's, that's an edge, right? That's a, that can be a razor's edge of how far you go in acquiescing to a, you know, a, a student athlete, in this example, a student athlete's mindset or, or growth and development. Um, before you're allowing them to tell you how to coach them. Yet you can understand how to motivate them. And if you understand how to communicate with them effectively, your opportunity to motivate them will will be that much better. Because you'll know, for example, maybe an incoming freshman, if you yell at them and, and demand things of them, they may break down and fall apart. And so now you may have lost someone who could be a, a very good athlete for you because you haven't figured out how to communicate well.
1: Dr. Flowers, um, I, I like where you went with that. Um, a, as coaches, uh, you know, I, I've talked with my colleagues for years about you, you can't treat everybody the exact same way. You have to be agile enough to speak different ways, different languages to different kids because they're all coming from different places what would we're all coaches here in in your experience with athletes what would you say are the top thing or or maybe the top two things that coaches consistently do a poor job at that leads to
0: you know the mental deterioration of of athletes Mm. number one thing that comes to mind is not listening and and I and I'm I'm hesitating because I'm thinking about examples I have in my mind of younger coaches compared to older coaches.
4: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think coaches who get, and I won't I won't necessarily say age range, but I'm saying coaches who get stuck in, I've been doing this for X amount of years, I'm not changing. And so they don't adapt to new generations of learning and training. And I I've found in my experience, more coaches find that disconnect with their athletes when they're not able to adapt. And I think Uh, that then ties into not listening, not listening to who's in front of them.
4: So I think what you said speaks to the big, gigantic elephant in the room, uh, you know, in the coaching landscape in 2021. It's about, The coach-athlete relationship has always been linked to, uh, it works best when there's trust, right? Now, when we were younger, trust came at, (laughs) it was real simple. You showed up, you trusted coach, or you left. Like, I get it. That's not right. I do understand that, right? But there is some, some amount of success that comes from that. The issue you have now is, as a coach, if I'm willing to understand and believe exactly what you said, which I am, I have to I have to adapt and meet you. Not necessarily 50-50, but I gotta meet you where you're at to some degree, right? Mm-hmm. The issue becomes a great number of student athletes now because they are so used to here in the last three or four years, demand and get, demand and get, demand and get, that they now feel it is our job as coaches to adapt holistically to them. Like come 99, they come one. And that can't work. Yeah. Right. And and so like there's that tough conversation that's made tougher by the fact that like we don't have any shared time yet. Like you're a freshman. I've been coaching for 23 years. We don't have a shared con a shared construct yet but if I don't coach you exactly the way you feel like you should be coached, you're ready to go to compliance or this person or that person and say, I don't get it. Right. When the truth is, it's like, that's not it either, right? There's, there, there's, no, um, there's no meeting room right. for, for, the, for the clash of, 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 of constructs right now. And that's why I think right now, it's probably the toughest time there's ever been to be a
0: coach. I'd agree. And, you know, so I've worked with coaches that have struggled with, you know, athletes going directly to the AD or even the school president and writing letters and complaining, or parents doing the same thing. And so now, parent or coaches are trying to figure out well, what do I do. And so I, I it makes me wonder how those athletes, how those coaches recruited those athletes. Did they actually have those those conversations? up front about this is who I am as a coach. This is how I run my program. I want to get to know you as a student athlete and and what your expectations are and and start building that bridge you're talking about Coach Huffins early. And and so before they get on campus, you have an idea of what student athletes coming into your program. And they have a hopefully a very good idea, if not crystal clear idea of what type of program and coaching environment they're in uh, and so the, the student athlete and the families, their parents, aren't throwing their hands up like, wait a minute, I, I had no idea this coach was going to talk to my child this way. Were they not paying attention or, you know, where was the breakdown is my question.
4: And and, uh, and I'll say I, I'm 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 100% on board with that. I really am. Um, I think the problem and I think that my, my coaching cohorts on this panel will agree, you know, Kids say and do and understand a lot of things in recruiting. And the world changes when you hit them with some 500s or 400s or 600s or whatever it is that they think is too far, right? Because you got kids who came from a short sprint program. They haven't run anything longer than 150 or 200. We've had the conversations about what we do in training. When they came on a visit, they saw what we did. It isn't what they do. We had all these conversations. They still wanted to come. Then we get there and they think that, you know, I'm supposed to change. Now we're running, you know, we don't run any further than 150s. And, you know, and, and we chill for four days before the meet. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the thing is, is like the unfortunate part is it's like, again, because there's no relationship, no true relationship in the recruiting process. Right. You're telling them the truth and what they want to hear. Some conglomeration. They're hearing what they want to hear. And at the end of the day, like, you know, Coach Holloway's school is really pretty. So I want to go to Florida. Right. I don't necessarily like all the things he does, but I want to go to Florida. Mm -hmm. Right. And and so at the end of the day, like they get what they want, Mm -hmm. which is to go to Florida. And then they get to meet like Coach Holloway. And they're like, this ain't what I want.
0: Yeah. and, And I think I would imagine that's where you start ferreting out those folks, what their true motivation and desire is. Was it to be. At a, at a program or in a program that has really cool stuff, it looks good, I know it's going to be on TV, it's going to be on ESPN, or they have great equipment rooms that I really like, a stadium I really like, or do they are they really motivated to put the work in to be part of that history of success, to create their own future success? So it, it, it taps into, again, that individual's desire.
2: And, I, I, think,
1: and- I think with the way the rules are currently constructed, as far as the world of the NCAA is concerned. I think one of the pitfalls of the the new rules and the way things work is there's a lot more room for dishonesty now. Mm. Coaches can get away with talking a lot of nonsense and kids can absolutely get away with letting coaches believe whatever they want because everybody feels like they have the freedom to do what they want when they want, how they want. And for me, I've always had more success, especially in the recruiting realm just being honest with people, just telling parents and athletes really what it is. And I'm sure I've lost a few because I'm so blunt and so straightforward. But once they arrive, I rarely have that specific type of problem. We got other problems, right? But I think there's way too much dishonesty in the game right now from all sides. And I I think people are hell bent on using the structure of the rules as an automatic out, mm. and I just think it gives a, a lot of people a false sense
0: of security.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really amazed by this this portal that I, student has can go into now. I, I still haven't figured it <laughs> out. I, I'm, I'm dealing with some 25 year old juniors and sophomores right now. I don't understand how that works.
1: <laughs> a very a very necessary evil, but it is necessary. Yeah,
5: and I, and I think that you know when. when when you're talking about some of the issues you have, I'm not sure why Mr. Huff has chosen to use Florida as an example, is that stuff doesn't happen on this campus. But but that's why I use Florida, because I know that's not the issue there. um, But I think the big thing you have to, and, and Dr. Flower spoke to it earlier, it's the communication. And I think that, okay, anytime you're dealing with winning, anytime you're dealing with how people make a living, there are certain people out there who are going to lie. That's just what they do. You know, when you, whenever you're dealing with money, people are going to become somebody they usually aren't because it's a desperation thing in most cases, I believe in anyway. But I, if you're completely honest with someone, then they can never come back to you and say, well, you didn't say that. So from the very first conversation, establish that honesty in my opinion. From the very first conversation, let them know who you are, you know? and, I, and Everybody that knows me, there's a different guy that sits on this chair talking to you guys that's on the track every day. But I'm honest about that. So when we have those discussions on the track, they're not surprised. So I think that some of these issues that some people have is like, you know, Clyde said, is dishonesty. But I also think that if you communicate properly with people, you can get through almost anything. And I also believe that I tell people this in recruiting, I need a year. I need a year for you to get to know me and me to get to know you. And then we can, we've got each other figured out and now we can communicate.
0: Yeah. And not too long, this is fresh in my mind because not too long, long ago, I did a presentation with a team on communication. So this Henry Ford quote is still stuck in my mind about, you know, coming together is the beginning, keeping it together is progress, but working together is success. And so really building communication. You better write that down. I (laughs) I don't know know if I can write that fast. So I'll say it again. Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress, but working together is success.
3: That's about to be on everybody's shirt this year. Literally, that's about to be on everybody's (laughs) shirt. (laughs) Henry Ford, that's who said it, y'all.
2: It's
0: Henry Ford. Yes, it's not mine. It's Henry Ford. (laughs) What, What really stands out to me about that in the same way in any athletic environment is that you're trying to develop successful behaviors. And communication is one of those. And so the energy that you can put into building effective communication behaviors, skills, hopefully become habits that can help build a successful program. Wow, that is very powerful. We appreciate
1: the bars, sir. That might be a good place to let him out too. I know,
3: I know. That was literally (laughs) the mic. It's not gonna get any better than that, is it? Wow, Right, man. And on that note, um, if you don't mind, um, Dr. Flowers, just let everyone know, wow. Let everyone know your website, um, and that way, if they further, want to further communications with you, communicate while well, get it together. Communicate with you, or even just you know, click around like I did today and just kind of see what it is that you do. And you know, it sparked an interest to me, of like really making me self assess as to like how this fits in for what I'm trying to do. So, um, if you don't mind, just letting our audience know what your website is.
0: Sure, the website is www giles.gilesllc.com. That's gilesll com
3: Well, awesome. We appreciate your time. Um, the website is worth the time to click around. There's a lot of good stuff and I was intrigued. So um, we appreciate you completely. And um, other than that, enjoy the rest of your evening and uh, we Rusted will make sure to funny. say hi. I yeah.
5: appreciate
0: it. It's great to never, see you guys.
5: Never let me down, my man. I appreciate
0: you.
4: <laughs> Dr. Flowers, I will get your cell phone number from, uh, from Sir Lucius, and uh, I will
0: text you shortly. Please do. Good to see you again. It's
4: good to I see you, it. sir. All right,
3: All
0: right guys. All right. Care. Have
3: a great evening. Thanks. You too. Thanks. Night. Bye. Bye-bye. Wow. That, that, that whole quote is like just resonating in my head right now. Mm-hmm. That was, wow. Wow, yeah, that I might be. Know. That was Grammy. Was it Are we Emmys? Are we Grammys? What are we? That was <laughs> that. That was our nomination, right? We're definitely now. not Grammys.
1: We are not Grammys.
3: I, oh yeah, no, that's music. Just kidding. I don't
1: know. Lucius only half sang once. Like we are not. We're not. Don't the music. start.
5: Let's not start that again because he has not. He's not let me off the hook for that one yet. like he, as soon as I think he's forgotten, then here you come again, Clyde.
4: I
3: bet. I love it.
5: I, it. I'm, I'm never gonna it. forget. So like, you should give that up. Yeah, this is true. This is true.
3: That's hilarious. But
5: but now you guys understand why I thought it was important to get him here. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal human being with, it just a wealth of wealth of
3: knowledge. So, thank that's you, awesome. to Dr. Flowers. That is awesome, and that's great to know that uh, our governing body has somebody that can be utilized. Yes. You know, so that's awesome. That's good to know. Um, well, we're gonna switch gears just a little bit. Um, and, yeah, I was just gonna say a little bit of the circus show. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so we can't keep it super serious. We have to have fun because this is what makes us happy, right? This is what brings us joy. So um in true fall fashion, coming into fall fashion, uh, we're gonna let Clyde have some some great fun.
5: I don't you we try to play innocent all of a sudden? Don't
3: you don't do I even mean, Totally I mean, because <laughs> no. we no. are going to allow Clyde to share his early college football impressions. Uh, I'm the this. only one sharing impressions. No, like, no, no, no. But me. you're going to start us off.
5: Oh, so 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 you oh.
3: understand this? I had a
5: conversation with someone, and it was like halfway through Saturday's games, and they're like, "Oh my! I know you, man. Clyde can't wait to clown these this guys." <laughs> <laughs> so have at uh, it so so
1: so let let me say this um it is it is my it is my passionate opinion every year that in the realm of college football we always do the same thing wrong pre-season rankings are a joke they should (laughs) not exist but we all know why they exist to feed the machine of you know getting the people to the end that they want to get to the end. And by they, I mean ESPN. So I won't go down that path again. I will just say preseason rankings are total bullocks, to borrow one of our English terms. And there was no better example of that than when you finally learn what happens when the SEC actually has to travel um lsu went out west and they got clowned by the ucla bruins now let me be very very clear about this i may have attended ucla i do not root for ucla football i went to a total of two games in the three years i was there i don't care about ucla football but i did thoroughly enjoy watching lsu walk in talking nonsense all the way up to the head coach running his mouth and being trolled on the way out perfectly by the UCLA um, uh, sports uh, info, whatever, whoever's responsible for putting together their hype videos perfectly played all the way down to the go tigers and the, uh, and the get the GAT video brilliantly done. But yeah, listen, everybody's overrated in preseason rankings with the exception of maybe Alabama and you know, just stop doing it. Just stop doing it. But I, I have a feeling that if the SEC would uh, get on the plane a little bit more often, you might see some things happen from time to time. I can't remember the last time Alabama left left the Southeast, but
5: I digress. Well, when you, you're collecting the trophy every year, Wiley, make people come to you. And When it's all settled. So, you know, so I mean, I'll, all I'm gonna say is this, man. You know, like I don't recall that the SEC, the NCAA championships or bowl games, whatever these things are, always played in Alabama. They're not always played in the South. But hey, but this is what makes this all wonderful, played, all right. is that you know you're you're entitled to your opinion, and and that's a wonderful thing. Um, Alabama football, I, I will ride with you that there are some very overrated teams in the SEC. There always are, okay. But there are also some very good football play in the SEC. So I don't think I can allow you to clown the SEC as a whole. I'm clowning LSU, the... okay, exactly. Then let's clown I'm the LSU. <laughs> saying the SEC needs to travel, whatever. But okay. right. but that's okay, you know. But I see when, when you're the best, people should come to you. That's it. Well, that Alabama is the best. Okay, the SEC as a whole has more championships than anybody else. Alabama is not the only team in the SEC that wins. But again, that's not what this segment's about. My, my, my first impressions are, um, one, I think that people are talking about the Georgia-Clemson game as if Georgia was just that much better than Clemson, okay? Clemson's off defense held Georgia's offense to three points, as is Georgia held them to three points. So I don't know how this became Georgia so good and Clemson so bad. Yes, you do. Neither one, one of those offenses are very good. Okay, So I, I'm a little, a little baffled by that, but that, again, goes with this. Rankings and stuff that we play into because Georgia jumps up to number two. Clemson uh-huh. takes his big no dive, dive. They beat him on an interception, right? They beat him on one play decided the, the game. Yeah. But Now all of a sudden, Georgia's that much better than Clemson, folks. No. So I know this isn't common, but I I, I agree with Clyde on this. <laughs> Preseason <laughs> rankings are a joke. They need to stop, right? The, the other thing that I was really impressed by this weekend. Ole Mrs. offense is a problem, like that like, And they did that with, without the, the ringmaster was at home with COVID and they, and they did that, right? You know, I, I was impressed with Texas on the, on the offensive side of the ball. They got some work to do on the defensive side of the ball. They're better. Um, I actually don't think that people are giving UCLA enough credit. Everybody's talking about how bad LSU is, but UCLA is a lot better. I mean, yeah. the, the efficiency of the offense, I mean, the man said, "Give me three or four years." It's been three or four years, and they're a problem. So I'm not going to keep regurgitating. I'm going to let Lamar jump in here for steal all of his stuff. But oh no, I,
4: I could, I could honestly, this segment I could sit out and watch YouTube and <laughs> and just pop popcorn. Um, I'll, I'll just look. I, I watched this thing with Jamel Hill, and she was talking about how the ridiculousness of of uh, preseason rankings and and I won't go I won't pontificate anywhere as long and as eloquently as she did, but I'll just say it like this. when every single year these programs change personnel almost wholesale. the idea that you are going to preseason rank, college football teams who don't play similar schedules from year to year who may or may not have a different coach um losing your quarterback is way bigger than losing any other player like all of those things it it's asinine and we know why it's done and the thing is they they could have the happy medium like do it just let four games play right like have the first preseason ranking come out the first week of October. You know what? They'll still be wrong, but they'll make sense. That's right. Because here's the thing That's right. preseason rankings are going to be wrong. And, and look, we're here for that. That's the conversation. Who did you say you, you ranked at the beginning? Like, we're here for that. But at least they would make sense if they came out October 1st. When they come out the week before, like when they come out before Labor Day, you're like, look. Ah, uh, sure, that sounds good. You have no idea. And yes, be, look, we, we know the spots, right? you got a top 10, what really is a top 12, because as long as you're within top 12, you can always get to one. You got 12 to 20, which is that revolving door of the power five teams that have a, have a loss early. And that's where we put them. And then we stick the one group of five team that's currently killing everybody. We put them in there. And we raise them from from off the rankings to 25th, to 23rd, to 21st, to 16th, to 13th, to 12th, and that's as far as they ever get. Because at the end of the day, like, that's the ceiling of where we're going to allow that shenanigans to really go on. Or we'll put them in there in the sixth hole, but there's three SEC teams and two power five, and two other Power 5 teams ahead of them. So when we get to the strength of schedule at the end, we know if they're going to drop. So I get like... Look, it's all a song and dance, right? I just would like for the, like, can we just, let's play better music, just wait a month and then let's do the song and dance and I'm here for it. I said all that to say this, the narrative that Scott Frost was a great coach and was gonna go to Nebraska and fix his hometown Cornhuskers There may not be anything more wrong in college football. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Bo Pelini got fired because he was only winning an average of nine games a year. And Nebraska football is better than that. And mind you, that's nine games a year for like eight years. Okay. Since Scott Frost has got to Nebraska, I had someone in sports information describe them as... A towering inferno of ineptitude stuffed in a dumpster fire going downhill. Well, you you know, because here's the thing he has eroded their culture, he is breaking rules internally, and is currently under an internal investigation for all kinds of recruiting violations. Because he thinks that they can practice when they're not supposed to, and then, worse yet, he's supposed to be a quarterback whisperer, and they have the worst quarterbacks in the country.
1: Well, you, you did a lot. You did a lot there, sir. Um, I, I'd like to. I'm not going to pile onto that, but there there are some programs out there that have always. Thought of themselves to be more important than they actually are. Notre Dame. Okay. Uh, you know, Michigan got a little bit of that. Texas got a little bit of that. So Bo Pelini got bounced. Most people, most smart people, you know, it's probably a mistake. Um, Mac Brown got fired at Texas. Still trying to figure out that one. I, they haven't been better since. So, you know, when, you, when you're trying to win the rat race, not everybody is Nick Saban. Not everybody's going to be Nick Saban. And the Scott Frost thing is interesting to me because the number one fault in that original argument was his recruiting base that he has access to is totally different in Nebraska than it was at Central Florida. You are not um, getting
4: kids from Central Florida to go to play football in Nebraska.
1: No. so it's Not little, enough of them. It's a little harder. <laughs> But speaking of Central Florida, um, the best story of college football was actually decided in week one. And you will not find a better story in college football this year than the reemergence return triumphant story of Mackenzie Milton. If you're if you're not, you know, a big fan of college football, McKenzie Milton was at Central Florida and was phenomenal at quarterback and was probably the biggest reason for that program being as awesome as it was for so long. And that kid suffered a gruesome lower leg injury on, on on par with what happened to Alex Smith. And somehow that kid came in and played his ass off in this Florida state versus Notre Dame game, led them all the way back from 10 points down, almost got the win. And there you will see nothing better this season than Mackenzie Milton playing quarterback at Florida state. Like, that's the best story, and that was the biggest storyline for me from week one, and you'll probably hear me ranting about McKenzie Milton all year because it's just it's – a, it's a great story.
5: And, and the other side of that story in that game is that, you know, the same thing we talked about a little bit earlier. Um, everybody's talking about how bad Notre Dame is. Florida State better than they were. Um, are they ready to challenge the championships again yet? No, they're not, but they are better than they were a year ago. Um, you can't discount playing on someone's home field you can't discount that, you know? And I think that o- Notre Dame might not be as good as people wanted to advertise, but Florida State is better. So let's give them credit for that as well. And, um, you know, I think Big Ten football is going to be interesting this year. Um, there the, <laughs> the was, they slugged their way through some things this weekend. Um, and um, Ohio State gets to face Oregon this weekend. So that, that could turn into quite the track meetup. There. You know?
1: Okay, so I wanted to get to that. And I, I really, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this now. We all understand the dynamics of conference realignments and and the shifts and the alliances and all this other stuff that's in the mix and going on. I will say this, for for whatever reason you wanna say, turning on the TV and watching credible programs playing other credible programs is better television than watching Alabama play the Citadel or something like that. So whatever that dynamic is, weekend one was awesome. And I hope that trend continues. If we're gonna play out of conference, I at least wanna see credible matchups for you know on both sides. I think that's just better television. I get the money game issue. I understand why it's done but there's got to be a better way. And so there wasn't very much of that, those shenanigans this weekend, and it was awesome. I hope that trend continues. I, I, I don't know if you guys agree or
5: not, but. Uh-huh. Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think it was great football. Um, you know, like we are watching Louisville Ole Miss, uh, you know, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Miami. I mean, just going, you know, the Big Ten opened up with Big Ten opponents. You know, so I think that you know, watching those games early, you know, that's what college football should be. You know, we shouldn't be, you know, trying to you know, pile up wins and statistics to try to get into a playoff. Um, you, you sharpen yourself by you beat great um, competitors every weekend, you're going to get to the playoff. You know, and I think that's, I think that's what it is it's definitely much better television to watch. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. I
3: don't think anybody will argue against better football being watched
1: ever. All right, so then I, I, I got one more phenomenon for impressions from week one, and, and I swear I'm extremely conflicted on this because I <laughs> look. It was awesome to watch, and I and I went to the I went to the San Jose State opener. You know, sixteen thousand people came out. The house was packed. It was great. Like they did a phenomenal job putting that on. I watched games this weekend stadiums are packed and it was great. And I'm sure all the players loved it, but I don't know if I'm feeling it and I don't know how great of an idea it is. It just seems like a really bad idea. And I know, I know we're here and I know it's not going to change, but am I the only one that felt like Delta's is real? Like, are we really doing this right now? Is was that just me?
3: It was very cringeworthy. Um, having gone to my first TCU game this weekend um, seeing the student section just packed, um, you know, where our, I don't know if this is just an athletics section, but where I was seated with my tickets, like we were able to spread out and so I was, I felt better about my life for that selfishly, but like every time the big screen would, the, the, whatever it's called, the Megatron, whatever, flashed that student section or the band, or I was like, eh, you know, and I haven't, I don't think I've seen in my email, the, the COVID report, if we're even getting that like we did last year. But no, I, I agree. And um, I'll say our staff was waiting to see what would happen after the weekend and the first football game. Yeah, it, it's, it was very, uh, and I mean, we have another merit uh, variant. I'm going to call it Mo because it's MU, but it's, I know for Greek it's Mu, but it's not. <laughs> but yeah, so it's, Yikes.
5: I, I, I'll be honest with you. I just, cause I guess I wasn't really thinking about it. So the first time I saw a packed stadium, I was like, oh wow. Yeah. That's what we're yeah. doing. And I was like, I just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've become accustomed to like we're spread out, <laughs> there's few people. And then I saw these packed stadiums and I was like, oh, like we're really doing this, right? I, I didn't, I just never thought about it until I saw it. And so it was kind mm-hmm. of a shock to the system. Like. Okay, like you know, they showed a picture of the swamp, and it, it was packed. And we were playing FAU, so <laughs> like, what's gonna happen next weekend when we play Alabama? I mean, people falling out of the rafters.
1: Bro, one, one of the yeah. fake narratives on on ESPN, were that LSU was gonna you know basically blow out UCLA because UCLA wouldn't have anybody in the stands. The Rose Bowl was was full basically. Okay, so if if Cali has decided, you know what? It's all good, right. It's all good everywhere. Like I just, I'm like, I don't
4: know, I don't know. You know, the crazy part is if you look at the statistics and the spread analysis, right? Like, I'm less worried about the packed stands. I'm more worried about the packed bars after the games. Oh sure, right? Sure. Like I'm not like this. If the super spreader events have not mm-hmm. been, you know, sixty thousand people in a stand, standing, standing next to each other outside. The issue has been bars, restaurants, right? And, and that's the problem. It's like, you got college town. Look, look, Clemson, South Carolina can't, can't social distance the 100,000 people that come to the game, right? So when they leave the stadium, which is the only thing in Clemson, South Carolina, they can hold 87,000 people. When they leave there, wherever they go, you're not social distancing if you go inside. And like, that's... I think that's the fear for me, right? Is it's like it's the gigantic collections of people and then we don't then we don't police them after we collected them all. Like, look, come and watch the game. But then after the game, like, okay, like we gotta go radical stuff like every other bar is open, you know, on 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 every other weekend. Like stuff like you know, it's like it's gotta be there still has to be some common sense to this stuff because you can't just all right we're good and collect a hundred thousand people and then go well I mean you know, I,
1: see, we <laughs> couldn't win we couldn't have went 50 capacity we couldn't have done
2: that there I would have been too much fighting had to be a free
5: for all well see and, and the thing is is like let's let's just call this what this guys I mean it's they're it, back to business as usual you know definitely you know uh-huh. so it's like okay I can't be the only one that's noticed the number of coaches in a lot of sports, not just football and basketball, that you came out of the pandemic and people got contracts, extensions and raises, right? You gotta pay for it somehow. And if you shut down the football stadium, you can't pay for it. Like all of a sudden, like oh, we're back to business of football, we're good. And people know they're gonna come to the games now because it's been taken away from them for a year, mm-hmm. right? People have hiked their prices, not just, at, for the ticket prices, hike the prices for uh, you know concessions and all that stuff. So it's concessions, definitely- parking, all of it.
1: And and that's and that's why it kind of sucks, or at least has me looking at it like, because the fact of the matter is, and we talked about this, you know, during during the last year, the t- the pandemic didn't affect the TV dollars, folks. And that's the big, huge bulk of all of it. If anything, you couldn't go to the games. So there was more eyes on the TV. So they ain't lose no money. <laughs> like, not any real money. Not right, not any real money. So I'm just like, oh man, like we could we could have went, you know, limited capacity, but nope. Everybody said to hell with that, we going.
5: And so now the key will be, what's the backlash from it? And, and I haven't heard about, I know here in town, I haven't heard about any big spikes. Oh,
1: that's just because your state is one huge, big spike. I don't know
5: what I said, what I I county, the county I live in is not one huge, big spike. <laughs> and, I, and I know there hasn't been a big spike on our campus, not yet, but it's only Tuesday. So, you know, yeah, right. Right. you got to wait, two weeks. you got to wait. It's Wednesday, but we, we you might wake up on Friday morning and go, campus is shut down. But right now, right now, we're good.
3: Well, here's my thing about that. And we can stop after this. It doesn't matter. Um, I wonder how if part of that non-existent spike is because those who are vaccinated aren't necessarily having the symptoms that were prevalent before, and so yep. they're not testing.
5: Yeah, because see, you know I, I mean? know, I know, some, most of us on this these tiles know people they got tested just because and found that they had it. Yep. I've got I've got a, a good friend of mine. He only got tested because he was going to a conference. He has it and it hasn't had a symptom yet. So a lot people are
3: walking
1: around and don't know the app. yeah that's it you know that's that's what the vaccines are for and, yeah. and i mean yeah. you, there's no way and i mean this is gonna this is gonna go left field right but <laughs> like, <clears throat> last year from from a sport perspective right the kids had to be tested they had to be tested twice a week they had to have to do special tests when they're traveling totally necessary had to do but that actually is expensive so now that there's a vaccine, most schools have said, oh no, you're, if you want to be on this campus, you must be vaccinated. And therefore, now they don't have to test people like that no more. They're still available,
5: but you don't have to do it. That's a money saver. So and now as- you're dependent on people being honest about how they're feeling. Because there's people out there that, that feel it. They're like, I'm not telling anybody, right? I'm fine. I know, you know, people are out there doing it. And so, like, it, it's, it's it's a very very mixed bag and um like I said let's see what happens like play like you know like already from a sports standpoint a competition standpoint last year if you had a spike on your team they rearranged the game if it was on your team this year you forfeit Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know the best thing I saw from that is that there are double forfeits
4: if neither team so, so like you still have like so let's say, you know, Michigan's supposed to play Ohio State, right? If, if Ohio State is already kind of in the red and it's obvious they're not going to play, Michigan still has to show fitness or else, they like, they still have to test them all and show results or else they get a forfeit too. Wow. I think
3: that's good.
1: Oh, that's definitely good.
3: Responsibility.
1: Yeah. And, and it, well, this is not the college realm, but one of the best, you know, coaches on this particular issue has been Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, Tampa Bay Bucks have been very matter-of-fact. They're like, look, I don't care what their policy is. It's talking about the league. He said, oh, my team on this policy? Oh, you're going to be vaccinated or you're going to be cut. And in the NFL world, he can, get, he can do that. And his team and the, I think the Atlanta Falcons are the two teams that instantly got their people in line. They're like, we're not playing this game with y'all. So that was great.
4: And what's crazy is In complete contrast to that, the Washington football team has the lowest vaccination rate of any team in the NFL, and their coach had cancer last year. Yeah. Their coach fought through chemotherapy to continue to coach them, and he has literally begged them to get vaccinated because of him. Yeah, we're good. We'll see you when we see you, coach. (laughs) Yikes. Crazy. It's crazy. You know, I rarely agree with Stephen A. Smith, but his rant about how he would handle the vaccine if he was a commissioner, it's one of the few things I was like, yep, I'm right there with you. I, I mean, look, it's private it, 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 it's private entities, which means you can get away with whatever you want to get away with. They can mandate that you don't, if you don't get vaccinated, you don't play. Absolutely. But they won't.
3: <laughs> All right. Well, we mentioned it in this last segment here briefly, but I, I, I want to bring it to light because I think it's a conversation worthy definitely for Clyde and myself, but just as general perspective from, you know, within our audience in the four tiles here. Um, we talked about recruiting earlier. and. And, and the fallout of Nebraska recruiting and, and whatnot, but uh, do your, should your recruiting strategies change as your recruiting area changes, locale, so talked about Central Florida versus Nebraska, you know, Clyde going from Alabama to Cal, Cal to San Jose, um, myself going from starting in California, getting to Indiana, and now coming down to Texas um you know what are your thoughts on on strategies should you how do um you you make those adjustments if so what
1: oh oh, i'm I'm first on this um i this the short answer is yes for me um i think that your recruiting strategy must evolve adapt and be dictated by where you are and what you're trying to accomplish. Now, you know, when you, when you go from assistant to head coach, now all of a sudden you're in the position to dictate what your recruiting strategies are going to be. And, you know, it's your job to identify how you're going to define success for your team and how you're going to, you know, best, you know, combat that, you know, that endeavor, you know, so for me, you know, I, I'm currently the head coach of San Jose State, We're a, we are a public institution in the state of California. There are some advantages to that. There are some disadvantages to that. And my strategy has to be, you know, based on how I'm gonna ultimately define success for this roster and what do I wanna accomplish, you know, in my time here. It, for me, and and there are there are phenomenal kids in track and field from the state of florida right but how much time effort and money am i gonna put into chasing that pot of talent when i'm all the way out here i would probably do better signing more kids out of the state of florida when i'm at alabama state than i would out here just because geographics matter right And the money that it costs matters. What it used to, what it it costs to go to school here if you're from the locale versus what it is for out-of-state or international is very, very different. And not every school has that reality. If you're at Baylor, Baylor's a private school. It costs what it costs to go to Baylor. It costs what it costs to go to Stanford. It costs what it costs to go to USC. That's all the same. So, you know, where you are and, and what your mission is should dictate your recruiting strategy and i think a lot of people a lot of coaches get too caught up in their personal mission like they want to prove something to themselves or they want to prove something to their colleagues and they lose sight of intelligent recruiting strategy at least that's i've seen that play out a lot you know we have our mission here and you know our mission is to make noise at the national meet and so our recruiting strategy is gonna dictate that mission. Um, I'll
4: jump in there. Uh, what I think is, uh, it's two parts. One, I think that wherever you go, your goal should be to dominate uh, within a 250 mile radius in every direction.
5: Yep.
4: Um. And so one of the first things I think you should always do wherever you go is get to know who the power brokers are and such um, where you are, where you're moving to um, as rapidly as you can. I mean, it's you know, club coaches, four-year coaches, whatever it is, make the connection, connections necessary so that you know who the power brokers are, the decision makers are in your area. Two, and this is a big one for me, and I find it amazing at how like avant-garde people think I am for this thought. I think when you change schools, one of your first things should be is to figure out who the most successful team is on campus and go pick their recruiting coordinator's brains. Go pick their staff brains so that you don't spend the next year, two years, three years reinventing a wheel that they were already rolling well, right? Like we had this conversation briefly when we were talking about, you know, if and when AT and then when she did get the job at, at, uh, at Vandy. And I said off camera, the first people I would go see is the baseball people because Vandy is average to below average sec standards in every other sport. It seems except baseball. And in baseball, they're literally industry standard. They're all at the same school. And I really don't believe that the baseball team has a whole different rule set as every other team on campus. Now, maybe there's things they can do that you can't, whatever. But I know if I took that job, just as an example, the first week I would be in that office to be like, okay, give me your top five things that you guys do here that you didn't do any other place or top five things you think helps you guys in bringing in recruits because it's a conversation and it can't hurt you but i am shocked at how infrequently it happens
5: i've done it it works it works That's good advice. i think that you know obviously the answer is yes um i mean for me um i think you have to, obviously you have to have a plan you have to have a plan and i think the biggest mistake people make is they recruit to recruit instead of recruiting to your strengths. Um, someone once said to me, I need to find a triple jumper. Well, what if there's not one available? Um, I need to find a shopper, Well, if there's not one available? And what if you can't coach the shopper, right? So um, the other thing that I think people make the mistake of is not knowing the landscape this, as, as, as Lamar said, like know the landscape of your conference, you know? Try to find a way, if you're trying to beat someone in something, try to find where they're not. And if you're strong enough, that's that's one of your strengths, then backdoor it that way. You know, your recruiting should evolve you. And, you know, sometimes, obviously, a change dictates that. Going from one level to another will always dictate that. But you have to be adaptable to the situation. You have to be adaptable adaptable to your graduation. And the biggest mistake ever made in recruiting is you get a good class and you don't recruit until that class graduates. Hmm. Mistake, ever. again, adaptability, so.
1: May, may I add to that? Mm-hmm. I
4: just want to make sure we don't lose Chew on this one. We, oh, I definitely, oh, I would, Chu, like, for, I would like for us to give her a
1: take. Go ahead, Chu.
3: No, 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 no. Fin- I want you to finish your thought. <clears throat>
1: No, no. It's fine. It was a separate thought. It was related. Oh, okay. To
3: just, just kidding. Um, I think that, again, you do and you should change, alter, reconstruct, you know, whatever reformative word it is that you want to insert there. I think another big part of it is the language. What words are you using to attract the flies? No, let's the bees to the honey. Let's find a better one. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. The bees to the honey, Um, you know that part. uh, Knowing what it takes, the identification of getting into the school. Everybody can recruit top notch, but if they can't get you, if they can't get in the school, it doesn't matter. Um, So knowing the different qualifications, you know, we talked about earlier uh, what it what it's going to take to make the impact, whether it's conference, regional, or prelims or national. But impacting the university, what's going to make the difference? Um, You know, especially going, as mentioned before, level the level and whatnot. You know, when I made the jump to D3 from D2, the verbiage had to change, the eyeballs had to change, Um, where I was looking, obviously, locale wise, had to change, but even where I was going. I wasn't going just to track. I was going to different sports and identifying there because that's what D3 was. D3 is a double dip area. There are dual sport athletes a lot. So it was one of those type things. Um, And then, you know, just mid-major to power five, mind blown. And, you know, obviously that's, that's on the cover sheet of that uh, book, but strategy is different. You know, every, you would think coming, coming into TCU, coming into the power five, you know, just go over the top kids, just go for the top kids, but it's not, there's actually a strategy behind it. And so knowing what the strategy is, identifying what the need is, um, all the above. And, and this is how I know I sit in good company because everything the three tiles other than myself have said have been an element of the conversation that I've had recently. And so I love it. And, and that's how we know if, if, this is resonating with you, you're on the right path. We just got to keep working. And that's part of it too, is getting comfortable, you know, um, saying why you're in this locale now and saying how you're going to change the locale. That was the big thing was, I remember the biggest, uh, compliment I received and, and this is not off topic, but little parallel to it. Uh, as I was leaving California, we were at the California state juco meet and another coach from our conference was like, you know, I'm sorry to see you go great coach, but I'm glad to see you go because every athlete I contact, you've already contacted. And I was like, kind of my job, you know, and then that word got out to uh, to Indiana. I don't know how, but it did get out to Indiana where you know, wow, you're at that meet again. Oh, you're here again. Oh, you're here again. But it, it's, it's being impactful, it's having the presence and, and knowing where you should be at the right time. So I say that to say that.
1: So <clears throat> that's very well said, Chu. What I wanted to add to this is <clears throat> I always tell people, good recruiting is about relationships. But I don't just mean that out in the world with kids and parents. I mean that on your campus as well. So anytime you go to a new job, um, you better go make an appointment with the academic people, not just the athletic academic people, You know, the academic people. And you better go build a relationship with the financial aid people. Because if you know how academics and financial aid work on your campus specifically, you will save yourself a lot of time, effort, and money In recruiting and for me something that I've always believed and done myself and something that I will preach to the staff that I am putting in place here you in my world I you know recruiting is about hustle right there you will not find any better hustle in the recruiting realm than d3 so get yourself some d3 friends and learn about hustle okay and respectfully we, we 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 tease them a lot but the football staff the football staff on every campus is the guerrilla recruit like they that's all they do right so implore some of their strategic elements to what you do of course we don't have the size of their staff we don't have the resources that they have but the way they structure it usually is pretty smart and you would be good to, you know, take some cues from that, and of course, building a relationship with the football staff can only help your men's program, so, you know, relationships, people, build them.
3: Good relationships, good relationships, quality versus quantity, yeah, so great, that was great insight, and I think that was, those, we all spoke words that, uh, If you have, as an audience, if you haven't heard that already, you've heard it now, ask us questions, because I think I would like to say, and maybe I'm boasting myself a little too confidently here, that the four tiles are great recruiters. I've had my mom. (laughs) I mean, I don't have a class to show it, but I have other things to show it of it, and, and people have backed me on that. So I'm gonna ride that wave a little bit At the end of the day, we all
1: just trying to keep up lucius
3: I mean, <laughs> I mean. No. I, my, my y'all,
5: y'all speak for yourselves. My retort to that is good luck.
3: <laughs> oh man, oh man, oh man. All right, well, um, again, we're going to change lanes uh, and we're going to move on to the shots fired. Pew, 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 And Clyde is the lucky recipient of stepping into the, the line of fire this week. Of course. So I'm going to ask, because I don't recognize that tie. Is that a new tie? No, 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 no.
1: It's a, it's a throwback. is the, the track. It's oh, the just curl, kidding. Okay. hurdle tie, you know love Sponsor, it sponsored by the lovely miss gina ryan i know
3: hey miss gina <laughs> um but uh i say that because we we haven't talked about ties replied and that's okay too we've we've grown we're, we're evolving this is a new season new themes but i did recognize. i i didn't recognize the tie so i wanted to ask but nonetheless sir are you, your seatbelt is your seatbelt fastened are you ready to go
1: i i, I am ready Go, go ahead. Do your Got work. it.
3: And one other thing. I like the haircut. Looking good. Just oh, okay. I had to give the shout out to Empire. So
1: oh, they, if you went to Empire. They, they put me on camera more these days. So,
3: yeah. <laughs> you got to get it right. Get it tight. <laughs> oh. All right. Here we go. San Quinn or Sully Cell?
1: I got to tell you, I've never really been a huge fan of either. But if I, if you forced me to listen to one, I guess I'd go San
3: Quentin. Okay, good answer, good answer. Uh, phone conversation or in-person conversations? In-person, I hate the phone.
1: <laughs> if, if recruiting wasn't part of my job, I'd probably not have a phone. Like I don't enjoy <laughs> being on the phone.
3: <laughs> All right, when eating chicken, are you going for a thigh piece or a breast piece?
1: Again, not a huge fan of chicken.
3: What do you eat?
1: I, I mean, I, I eat chicken. I just, you know, <laughs> thigh versus breast. Yeah, probably breast.
3: Oh, man. Um, who needs, capitalized needs, to be in the next Hall of Fame class for football?
1: Oh, dang. I thought she was going to say for the alphabet crew. And the answer is Richie B. Oh, um, but oh,
3: we already know that answer.
1: <laughs> but for football? I mean, you could just end up... Tom Brady now and save everybody time I mean if anybody deserves to be an instant inductee it it is the GOAT so just put Brady in now
3: I love it that's funny uh getting into the blocks did you slap your legs or do a few jumps
1: oh I jumped I'm I'm (laughs) pogos spring springs all day I
3: love it all right living in the um, uh living in the bay umbrella or no
1: no hell
3: no (laughs) all right donuts or bagels bagels and last one where would you be if you were on vacation right now
1: wherever tb tells me i'm supposed to be
3: (laughs) good answer good answer (laughs) i love it i love it well sir you have survived rapid fire this week
1: well have i though
3: Oh, no, JK, JK, JK. JK.
1: Right, Gentlemen, I forgot. Right. My bad, my bad. I don't know why, like, 25,000 weeks in, I still
0: do it wrong. Go ahead, Lamar. Lamar looks mischievous <laughs> more than <laughs> I normal. Don't,
4: I don't know why I look mischievous. I'm just chuckling at, at you know. <laughs> there, what has become commonplace is, like, the fear factor is to the, the two additional questions. It's not the rapid oh, fire questions. All right. Questions that you all you know, mine is actually going to be a, a relatively simple one for, uh, for our wonderful audience. You've, you've been in the big chair for long enough now to answer this question. Give me the three biggest and paycheck can't be one of them. Give me three biggest differences between being in the big chair and being an assistant.
1: You don't have to ask anybody permission for any damn thing. That's, That's all- a
4: lie. You have an athletic director.
1: Well, yeah, but the AD don't check up on, you know, the head coaches like an assistant gets checked up. You know what I mean? It's, it's a different level of permission. Um so that that's that's the first thing. You you can just make decisions, which which is interesting. Um <laughs> it's for me. And honestly, this is the biggest thing. I don't even know if I have three, but this is the most important thing for me. The weight of responsibility is completely different. Like it just is. When you're an assistant, obviously you concern yourself with the job that you're doing and the kids that you are serving in your everyday capacity. But I ain't necessarily, I'm a fan of the other groups on the team and the coaches that coach them. But I'm not overly concerned with what's going on over there, right? When you're in this chair, it's like, there's a weight of responsibility. Like, I actually have to really pay attention to what's going on with the distance crew and making sure that everything is right for their competition in the upcoming weekend. I ain't thought about cross-country and distance runners in two years <laughs> at all. Like, not for a second. Like, oh, there's me. Cool. How do we do? It's the, the weight of responsibility is just totally, totally different. And then uh, if you ask me for three, so I'll give you a third one. It's in that same realm though. It's as as a head coach, when it comes to the other coaches on your staff, it's like, you're actually responsible for the livelihoods of the people that you've recruited to come work for you. And again, that's a level of responsibility, but that actually matters. Like, you know, the, the, the lives of the people that you work with every day have a lot more consequence to you and uh, you have to care a lot more about it. When you're an assistant, like, okay, I guess we're all showing up at work today, but yeah. Or maybe. <laughs> okay,
5: so um, the only question I have for you, and it's, it's a pretty simple one as well, is have you, a plan to how long before you believe you can win your first conference title? Hmm. And what is that timeline?
2: Uh,
1: a plan. Interesting. I just needed to third I'm man I'm I'm that was a great person. question. It, it is a great question. He asked it because he knows I'm not going to run from it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm a math person and so from a conference perspective, I don't believe the, the math is there. For us to make a run at it this season. But please believe I will be doing everything I can and plotting how we can absolutely make the run at it by year two. And knowing me, if I'm not in the mix by year two, I'm gonna pit, be pissed off about it. So, you know, I, I I don't I don't get up and do this every day to collect a check and just exist within my conference or within or within the realm of you know, national you know, spotlight or, or having some kind of say in that. So, you know, I'm coming for all I can as quickly as I can. And that is the mandate that my staff will be walking them into themselves. So year two for me is the goal. Yeah, that's about
5: what I
1: thought.
3: just wanted to hear. <laughs> I wanted to commit it to reporting. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. Mark the date, September 8th, 2021. Slide <laughs> says year two. So in 23, we will come back and visit this. I love it. I love it. What else are you doing
1: it for, if not to (laughs) me?
0: I mean,
3: I mean, yes. Well, thank you so much for the the contributing questions Um, and to make ourselves as angelic as possible. We'll close out the night with our heartbeat props and show praise to those who are still here to receive it in person. Um, I am going to jump in and go first because it is on my mind and I, I, I have to get it out before it goes away. Um, the teachers at all all levels. So whether you're primary, secondary, higher education, uh, if you're a daycare provider who's doing it, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because, you know, you've got your own families who you're putting at risk. You know, you're walking into the fire every day because God knows and I apologize for that reference but who knows uh, what your students are doing familial non-familial with recognition without recognition day in and day out and you choose to be there and you choose to put yourself second if not third to be present for the youth and for those who are trying to make themselves better so um, my heartbeat props go out to all the educators out there who are um, continuing to toe the line every day and and selflessly endanger themselves, for lack of a better way to say it. So I appreciate you completely from the bottom of my heart.
5: Yeah, I'll go next. I want to give my our uh, Harvey props to to a young man who I think was a, a one of the favorites of everybody on this panel. And that's to Mr. Michael Norman, um, Mikey. Been a lot of fun watching you go do what you, what you've been doing when in terms of running the hundred meters. Um, to see the light in your eyes, the fun you're having. Um, Just welcome back young man. We're very proud of you. Um, Keep chasing your dreams. Don't listen to the naysayers. Um, You are on the right path and congratulations and great job. Um, I'll
1: I'll go next, let the EP close it out. Um, Mine mine is short and simple. My heartbeat props go out to Miss Charmaine Darden, um, my the first addition to my staff, my head of cross country and distance. We are in the trenches together and we're gonna get through this cross country season, girl. I promise you. But (laughs) I appreciate you arriving as fast as you did. And she she hit the ground running and she's been phenomenal. And I and that's what I expected. And it's gonna be a lot of fun. But I got you. Keep grinding.
4: I like it. Um, mine's gonna be uh, relatively lighthearted um, and probably gonna get, you know, oh, out of you three. But, you know, my heartbeat props go out to, to parents. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this for the last probably 48 hours. Just all the things that, I say we, cause I'm also also a parent, but all the things that we do um we somewhere along the line we go from being selfish to selfless and we do all of these things for for our children. You know, moms will get up in the, you know, in, in the, the O Dark 30 and take kids to school or make lunches and stuff before they go to school and and dads do too, and that wasn't a slight. Um, you know. I'm not going to do this gender bias of who does what but there's lots of catch being played lots of food being made weddings being paid for, I'm going to one next week I didn't pay for it. Um, but I do, know, <laughs> but I but I do know someone who did right and and when I asked him about the budget he was like well, well, whatever she wants and I was like, that's what I mean like parents will drive across the country for junior college baseball games. Parents will forego Thanksgiving and Christmas because of youth basketball and youth football um, and so on. Parents will risk life, limb, and red and, and red light stoppages to go from practice to, you know, little Timmy's baseball game. And at the end of the day, uh, let's just be honest, like parenting is a truly thankless job in most cases. <laughs> like you get the occasional, but for the most part, it's a thankless job. And, uh, you know, parenting is really, really hard. And I do want to send a, I want to send a, send send heartbeat props out to everybody who listens and watches this show, who is a parent and like, just take 30 seconds for yourself and pat yourself in the back, because there's a lot of work that you do that goes unnoticed. You know, but, but here's the thing. It matters to those who matter.
3: Very true. Very true. Well, again, we've, we've finished a show that has quality to it, has a little bit of nonsense and then addressed everything in between. So, uh, hopefully we keep having you all show up and, and chuckle with us or turn on that light for the aha moment. Um, but Again, thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. And until next week, we'll see each other soon. Have a great night, y'all. With the lights come
2: on, the road to skip the running. With the lights come on, the pony smash the plumbing. Would you like get warm, hot, knife the butter two pin them hard, knock them off every bottle Tsunami, tie the wave to your puddle. Tough love, touch when arms, little brothers. Reddick's double, i see there's no others Tracker feels pacing, we're pure to go further Hey Wally, Coyote, it's runners. Feels like you know us, you've been with us the whole summer If not for this quarantine, these four corners Wouldn't be here, but we here, so start learning You gotta earn your stripes, gotta get your scars Show you how to fight, but show us who you are You lack experience, but still you wanna talk And who is actually talking to yourself, it's kinda small Heads prevail when the backbone's strong. gotta... Performing note won't last long Pass it, failed and fail, then sell the sad song And if you don't check yourself, then that's wrong Just trying to give you the real that you asked for So why you keep cutting us off to ask more We put it in slow mode, but you fast-forward Athletics, double-LC, the task force